Please be seated. This morning, if you've looked in your, in your worship folder, worked at, looked at your study guide, you'll see that I've titled the sermon, Power for Preaching. What I want to urge you against is checking out. I want to urge you against going, well, I'm not a preacher, so this doesn't apply to me. Uh, I, I, want, I, want to care, I want you to, to be careful here because there's power to be found as we tap into the Spirit of God to do whatever ministry it is that God has called each and every one of us to. So even though the title of this message is Power for Preaching, you could easily substitute whatever ministry opportunity it is that God has called you to. Power for women's ministry, power for men's ministry, power to care for and minister to children, power to share the gospel. Where do you find your power? Now, the good Sunday school answer that everybody will surely give is Jesus, but just because you know the answer doesn't mean you've actually tapped into the source. Stand with me in honor of God's word. We're going to read from Mark chapter 1, beginning in verse 35. Mark chapter 1, beginning in verse 35. And while it was still very early in the... Or, excuse me, let's go back. I was giving you the resurrection. Um, and, and, and rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And they found him. And said to him, everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also. For that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that we would find in this word this morning a reminder to get up, get alone, get away. Father God, to commune with our Father and to find power for everyday living and especially power for the ministry to which you've called us. May we be affected and impacted by the ministry of your Word and your Holy Spirit as it works in our hearts and our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Preaching is among the central duties of pastors. Now, let me just, again, remind you that even though you can get something out of this, I want to make sure everyone is clear. We're going to talk a lot about preaching this morning. Some of you need to hear this because the Lord is leaning on some of you to own the calling that He's placed in your life. For some of you, you need to lean into this because this is going to give you a better understanding of how you can be more effective as a, not only as a preacher of the gospel standing in front of people, but as a teacher. Maybe as a parent who's seeking to instill gospel values into your children. So pay close attention this morning because all the things almost that could be said about preachers could be said as a responsibility and opportunity for each one of us. Now, preaching is among the central duties of pastors, and Richard Baxter long ago reminded pastors this way, we must be serious, 
earnest and zealous in every part of our work. Our work requireth greater skill and especially greater life and zeal than any of us bring to it. It is no small matter to stand up in the face of the congregation and to deliver a message of salvation or damnation as from the living God. In the name of the Redeemer, it is no easy matter to speak so plain that the most ignorant may understand us and so convincingly that the, con- that the contradicting cavaliers may be silenced. Can I say to you this morning that it is no small matter to not only stand up in the face of a congregation to proclaim these things. It is no small matter to stand up in amongst anyone and proclaim the things of the Lord. It is no small matter to seek to invest these big truths into the small hearts of our children. It is no small matter to seek to share these big truths in our life groups and with our co-workers and our friends and families. In a world that has lost its marbles, it is appropriate that we, as the church of the living God, the people of Jesus Christ, occasionally find things about which we can be blood-earnest. Some things are not joking matters. Not everything should be trivialized with a Facebook post or a TV news show. In our communion with the Lord is a serious matter. This morning we see that Jesus spent time with the Father. And in so doing, He found the power that He needed to go on doing the ministry that He was sent here to do. Where do you find your power? Again, I'm not asking you where you should find your power. A lot of us can know the right answer without actually doing the right thing. The Olympics just finished. I admit to not watching a lot of the Olympics, but I did watch some of the Olympics. And I'm going to tell you, I became an expert in the snowboard halfpipe and ski jumping. I listened to those announcers and I understood, I learned that those ski jumpers have to get their ski tips up. They've got to flatten out their bodies. They've got to become aerodynamic. They've got to make a certain kind of little V as they're flying through the air. They're doing things that are not normal or okay for human beings to do. They're landing not in soft, powdery snow. Understand this. They are landing on ice. I was terrified watching Now, I didn't get afraid watching the snowboarders jump. I did not have a knot in my stomach watching those ski jumpers take off down that giant man-made hill and jump off that thing and fly. I'll tell you what got to me. was when we began to watch the downhill. And Angela and I were watching that together. And y'all, I don't know how fast those men were running. They looked to me like they were running 180 miles an hour. 
Do you want to know why that terrified me so much? Because I actually think I know what I'm doing on skis. And they had mic'd up. They had mic'd up the snow. Did y'all catch that? And they'd come across and they'd lay into those turns and you'd hear those skis. And they weren't just shh, as I like for my skis to sound when I ski occasionally. Because they were just jumping across that ice. And I had a knot in my stomach because I know that if I hit that, I am dead. Like it's over. Right? Folks, can I tell you that sometimes when it comes to the power that is to be found in the Holy Spirit, we look a lot like Craig Thompson watching the downhill skiers. You see, I can act like I know something about a snowboard half pipe, but I've never actually done it. Those folks go down that hill and they jump off on those skis and I can't imagine, first of all, whoever imagined it. And then second of all, who would do it? Like, I don't understand that. The luge, I get that. Everything else, I don't. But it's, it's with the downhill ski where I've got just a smidgen of experience that leads me to believe that I know what in the world's going on and it makes me all sorts of nervous. You see, I have some of the right answers about downhill skiing. But I can't actually do it. I've never experienced. Let me I've never experienced that kind of speed on skis upright. I should say. It's possible that I have experienced that kind of speed, but it was an accident. For some of us, our spiritual life is that way, especially our communion with the Holy Spirit. I've got enough of a taste of it. That I can give you decent answers. I understand that I need to lean into it in a certain kind of way. But to have actually felt the wind through my hair as the Holy Spirit blew me away. I've never been there. Some of you have owned your own skis. You've owned your own ski pants. You've owned your own ski jacket. You might even have the helmet and the mouthpiece to go along. But you've never skied. At 90 miles an hour, at least not under control. Some of you have got the Bible, and you've got the Sunday school rhetoric, and you've got the church attendance, but you've never actually been carried away in the power of the Holy Spirit. Because you've not yet put in the time necessary for the Holy Spirit to wreck your world. This morning when we talk about the power for preaching, the power for ministry, the power for serving in our families, in our church, in our homes, what I'm talking to you this morning is not about knowing something, but about experiencing something. Not something, someone. The Holy Spirit of God making a significant difference. Let's look and see how Jesus engaged with the Holy Spirit this morning, how Jesus found his power for preaching, and consider how it is that we may tap into that same power. First thing that Jesus did was to prioritize his time, and the first thing we should do is prioritize ours. In rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. Jesus found the power to preach alone with his Father. Jesus had to separate himself from people and legitimate ministry opportunities to fulfill his ministries. He had to separate himself from people and from legitimate ministry opportunity to fulfill the ministry to which God had called him. Consider what Jesus walked away from. Consider this. The crowds were gathering, his fame was spreading, and his disciples were excited 
Jesus had just made a huge splash in Capernaum. Jesus was the next big thing. If Jesus were on social media, his Twitter followers just exploded. Jesus just became famous overnight. Y'all, we look at this and go, Jesus got alone to pray. And we go, well, of course he did. Don't miss this. Jesus neglected some incredible opportunities to get alone with the Father. One of the most difficult struggles for me as your pastor is a false sense of guilt that I wrestle through. Okay, It's a false sense of guilt that some people in my life hold me accountable for, some people in my life work with me with. It's this false sense of guilt about getting alone. And the false sense comes because I recognize all of the other ministry opportunities that exist right here. And sometimes there's a struggle to get alone with the Father. Y'all, can I tell you that there comes times in our lives when we have to say no to very good things so that we can engage in the most important thing. But look, Jesus doesn't say no to the people in his face and say, I'm sorry, my ministry with you is over. I'm going to spend time with the Father. It's 11.38. Have a good day. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? I've known people that way, so brace yourself. Some of you might be. Repent today. Look at what Jesus did. Jesus prioritized his time by getting his rear end out of the bed. Jesus engaged in the very hard work of prayer. While it was still dark, it is appropriate that we would preach this passage on Daylight Savings Time Sunday. Right? We could call it the Devil Savings Time Sunday. That might be what the D stands for. Because what? When my alarm went off at 5.15 this morning, which was actually 4.15 this morning, you know what Craig did? Craig got up and went snooze and went right back into bed for a few more minutes. Okay? Jesus got alone with the Father, but recognized that this was hard work. Somewhere along the way, we created this idea that our quiet time with you... Now, now... Bill Hybels did a really wonderful thing. Bill Hybels challenged people years and years ago to have a cup of coffee with Jesus. Okay? And he meant well by it. And I think he accomplished some good things. He said, if you can just get up and give the Lord 15 minutes of your day, start that way, it's going to change your life. He said, if you don't have a relationship, if you don't have an experience or an opportunity, if you don't have any kind of a devotional life, just get up and start somewhere. Now, the, pro the only problem with that is if we're not careful, we all imagine drinking coffee. I have coffee with some of you every once in a while. How many of you get up at 4 o'clock in the morning to meet me for coffee? If I call and I say, hey, I'd love to take you to coffee today. Oh, that'd be great. What time? I say, oh, about, about 5.45. Most of you are going to say you've lost your mind. If you want to go have coffee with yourself, that's your own business. I'm not meeting you anywhere at 5.45 in the morning. When I talk about having a cup of coffee with somebody, it's a relaxing, enjoyable experience. Folks, can I tell you that sometimes spending time with the Lord is not a relaxing and enjoyable experience. Jesus got along with, with, with the Father in Gethsemane and prayed and sweat drops of blood fell out of his head. We've got to get past this idea that communion with the Lord is sweet and special and enjoyable. Folks, anything worth doing is worth doing right and most things worth doing are hard work.
it is completely okay to work hard for Jesus. We don't somehow undo the grace of God in our life if we are working hard to commune with the Lord. I'm not saying you work hard to, uh, to, to satisfy Him. I'm not saying you work hard to please Him. You don't work hard to get forgiveness of your sin. Jesus does all that because He loves you. He did all the work on the cross. I'm saying that it is worth your time to spend time with the Lord even if it robs you of a little bit of sleep or of a little bit of television, or of a little bit of your time on the computer, or of a little bit of your time with your crossword, or your Sudoku, or your newspaper, whatever it is. He is of inestimable worth. He's worth more. Prioritize your time. Now, look at some of the other ways he prioritized his time in this ministry. Now, Peter reminds me of me. Now, when I say Peter reminds me of me, I'm not talking about the sermon at Pentecost. I'd love for that to be me. Peter reminds me of me more in the way that Peter sticks his foot in his mouth all the time. Like, we could substitute Craig in a lot of these situations. Everybody would go, yeah, we saw that coming. And in this, po- in this passage, we've got Peter doing Peter all over, all over again. They found him, the Bible says in verse 36, and Peter says... Everyone is looking for you. Don't miss that. Don't miss this. Don't miss this quiet solitude. And Peter walks up and says, Dear Savior, we've all been searching for you. I'm so glad I could find you and sit at your feet and have my merry experience. The Bible says in in the original language here, it's actually a little more rude. In English, they tend to soften things for us because we're such a polite people. And Simon and those who were with him, in the original it says... They pursued him. Another synonym there in the Greek language is they hunted him. Have you ever seen a dog hunt a wounded animal? Have you ever seen people hunt? They were pursuing. They were hunting him. Where in the world are you, Jesus? Peter says, Jesus, I don't know if you've noticed, but all these people are looking for you. And you're right here, hiding out in the middle of a field somewhere. What in the world is going on? As in Mark chapter 8, where Jesus, Peter looks at Jesus and says, you can't go and die and do these things. we got a job to do here. Peter's expectation of Jesus does not fit with Jesus' calling. They're looking for Jesus, but Jesus assures Peter, I'm doing exactly what I need to be doing right now. I came out that I may preach. That's what he says in verse 30, 30, 38. I came out so that I may preach. Jesus did not come into this world primarily to heal or to become famous. He came to confront people with the gospel. He came to seek and save that which was lost. Jesus was prioritizing his time around the specific calling that God had placed upon his life. Y'all, what has God called you to do? What has he called you to do? And, what ha- and how are you prioritizing your time in light of that calling? Ephesians 5, 16, ur- 16 urges us to redeem the time. Folks, that redeeming of the time should, be, it should take place in the way that we engage with others in conversation. It take place in the way that we spend our time throughout the day. But that redeeming of the time should certainly take place as we redeem the moments for fellowship with the Lord, for engagement with Him. For time alone with the Lord. Prioritize your time. That's the first step. That's the first step in finding power with the Lord. Prioritize your time. The second thing, get away. Now look, Jesus left. 
He R-U-N-N-O-F-T. He was gone. They got up. They look around. Where's Jesus? We can't find him. We had this happen one time in our house. I got up, went to the bedroom. Where's Wyatt? Like, Wyatt wasn't in his bed. Wyatt wasn't in the den. Wyatt wasn't in the living room. Wyatt wasn't cuddling with the dog. Wyatt wasn't in our bed. Where in the world is Wyatt? We began an intense search because Wyatt was missing. And as we turned the house over, I I, I checked to make sure all the doors were locked. And then we walked back into the bedroom. I pulled his covers back. Maybe I somehow missed him and then I looked and there he was. He had climbed into bed with Sloan at some point during the night. And he was huddled up over against the wall. And between all the covers and the pillows, I just couldn't find him. Y'all, they got up. They start looking for Jesus and Jesus is gone. Why? Because he left. Why? Because he needed to get away. Why? Because he was tired? Maybe. But definitely because he needed to get ready for the next step of his ministry. Now, interestingly, y'all remember, what is Mark's favorite word? Thank you. If if nobody had spoken up, I was going to really be depressed as your pastor because I've said that like a hundred times. So thank you for saving me for a pit of depression. Now watch, in verses 35 through 39, Mark doesn't say immediately he got up very early and ran away to pray. All of a sudden, this frantic pace of Jesus slows down. This Jesus who has been consumed with ministry and care, this Jesus who has been all over the place, who has bounced from baptism to temptation to victory to casting out demons to healing the sick to preaching the good news, that Jesus all of a sudden gets up very early in the morning, rising while it's still dark. He wanders off out into the desolate place, literally into the wilderness, into a place where there was nobody else around. And he began to spend time with the Father. He slowed down. It doesn't appear though. Now watch. When did he do it? He did it while it was still dark. That's important. Because that means you need to get up at 4 o'clock in the morning to spend time with Jesus. No. Yes, maybe. But we can't be legalists right here, okay? We don't get to say, boom, this is exactly how it should be. But I do want you to consider that there are some things to be said about this passage of Scripture. One of the things is that we, we don't have this idea as we work through the past, through the scriptures, that Jesus publicized his prayer life. In the book of Mark, Jesus is only shown in prayer three times. Now, we know that in the book of Luke, in Luke 5, 16, we are told that Jesus prayed often, but it doesn't appear as though Jesus regularly gathered all the people around and said, hey, watch this. Now, that shouldn't surprise us. We turn to Matthew chapter 6, in Lord's Prayer. Beginning in verse 5, he says, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Jesus was often in prayer But folks, Jesus' prayers did not draw the attention of or inconvenience the world around him. Jesus doesn't demand that the day start two hours later so that he could spend time with the Lord. Jesus doesn't jump up and down and pitch a hissy fit and go, I need to spend time with the Father so dear disciples, we can't leave until lunchtime. 
He got along with the Father. There was ministry to be done. There was work to be done. He didn't just say, oh, here it is. It's all my Jesus time. Well, it wouldn't be Jesus time because he was Jesus all my Father time. Y'all, we can't really imagine Jesus Snapchatting or Instagramming his prayer time. Right? Can anybody imagine like Jesus with his, his Bible spread out on a table and his coffee right here and his little journal and his fancy pen laying in just the right way? Hashtag Jesus time, no filter. Right? No, we, we don't see that. You know? You know, Jesus taking this picture and posting it all over, you know, selfie at Starbucks, just spending time in the Word. Why can't we imagine Jesus doing that? Because He said that's what the hypocrites do. We need to be very careful in the narcissistic we, just look, we, not you, we, me too, need to be very, very careful in the narcissistic social media age in which we live that we do not become like the hypocrites. You say, I've never stood on the street corner and rang a bell for everyone to notice. No. But did you hashtag your prayer time last week? Did you make sure to share with the whole world what Jesus taught me this week? Now there's a fine line. I get it. There's a fine line between our hopes and our opportunities to try and influence the world around us. But y'all, maybe if I want to influence the world around me, I would start face to face with the person next door. Let's be very, very careful that we don't look like the hypocrites on the corner who say, look at me for all of my good deeds. Look at me for all of my Jesus time. Look at me for all the things I did. You say, well, that's not why I did it. Did you count your likes? Did you turn off the comments and the likes so that nobody could see it? If you weren't that concerned, why did you work so diligently to make sure the angle was just right and the lighting was just perfect? I know this doesn't apply to every one of you. I get that. Our teenagers need to hear this, though. Some of our young adults need to hear this. Because being like the hypocrite in 21st century America doesn't look the same as it did. Doesn't look the same as it did in the first century Judea. Jesus left. He got away. He slowed down. He was often in prayer, but his prayers did not didn't stop the world around him. Jesus taught us to do just the opposite. He taught us to go into our closet. Why? Jesus said, nobody needs to see you. Nobody needs to know. Because your power is not found. In the fame that may be generated by your devotion to the Lord, your power is to be found in an abundant share of the Holy Spirit as you fellowship with the Lord. Get away. Y'all, there is no, no, now let me just back up. When I say get away, remember Jesus went to a desolate place. I sat in ordination council yesterday and was blessed to hear a young man talk about his father. Who said, he said, when life got bad, he just disappeared in the field and we all knew where he went. 
Some of you don't have a field to go hide in. Some of you have 12 kids at home. None of you have 12 kids at home, but some of you have two, three, four, five kids at home. Okay? You don't get to just run out. Some of you don't, don't have the opportunities to get away to a desolate place. But you can go find a desolate place in the closet in your house. You can go out into your garage. You can go sit under the tree in your backyard. I, I, I don't want us to walk away and go, well, I don't have that special prayer retreat that I've created. Uh, fine. Do you think that Jesus really did? He didn't have a roof over his own head. I had a guy come in to lead a prayer retreat at a church I was a part of one time. And, and, and listen, he did a phenomenal job, okay? I'm, I'm not casting aspersion upon it. He, he did a phenomenal job. Really challenged us to be people of prayer. But he had built like a little small shed out in his, out in his backyard with the, with the purpose of being a place where he could go and, and spend time with the Lord in prayer and in study. A small shed, he said it was just large enough for a chair and room for him to lay out flat on the ground and cry out to the Lord in prayer. That's, that's wonderful. But most of you don't have the opportunity to do that. And that's okay. You say, but Craig, how in the world can I get up? Can I find a desolate place? Listen, at 5 o'clock in the morning, every corner of my house is desolate. It is. And in most of your homes at 5 a.m., it's desolate as well. Jesus got away. He slowed down. Life is busy. There's a reason that we're talking about this passage, this book, Mark, as discipleship in the real world. Because the real world right now is fast-paced. Last night was the only time in at least seven days when our family, my family, my wife and my children did not have something planned in the evening. Now, I was trying to do the math this morning, and I got overwhelmed. I, I actually think that it's more like the only night, if we strung it all together, it's the only night in 10 or 12 days when we don't have something planned in the evening. That's just how life is right now. We need to slow down. And folks, I know that getting up an extra half hour early in the morning is hard, but can I tell you that that might be the only time you have to take a deep breath and slow down. If we put it off in my house until nighttime, it's over with. Why? Because we have chased four children around that house and a dog. And they eat a lot. And they make huge messes. And it doesn't matter if we make them clean them all up. We still have to go behind them and make sure they got it all cleaned up right. And by the time the kitchen's clean and the kids are in bed and we've done whatever. Listen, this is how we finish up the night. <sighs> yeah, we're slowing down. But folks, we ain't slowing down for Jesus. We're slowing down because we don't have a choice. We're slowing down because we're beat. Part of slowing down, though, making time to slow down with the Lord, you know what that means? It requires, it requires us in those nights to get into bed. Okay? We've got to be on purpose. If you want to make time to slow down with Jesus early in the morning, you've got to get in bed early at night. You can't binge watch Netflix for three hours every night and expect that you're going to be able to get up early in the morning and spend time with the Lord. It's so hard for me to get up. Some of you, it is hard. It doesn't matter if you go to bed at 6 o'clock in the evening. It's still hard if you get out of bed. 
But nobody, with the exception of some of you that grew up on a farm and, and have been doing it since you were like three, very few people in the world just jump out of bed early and go, ha-ha, yes, four o'clock, couldn't wait to get up. All right, let's, let's not harp there. Um, but just, just this last thing, though. If we, we sometimes pray, Lord, help me to spend time with you. Right? Any of you ever do this? I, I, I remember doing this one time. Lord, it would be amazing if I, just, if I could just wake up early and want to get out of bed and spend some time with you. I remember doing this one time. I remember like three days in a row, and I woke up at like five in the morning. Lord, this is a bad idea. I still didn't jump out of bed. I tried to roll over and go back to sleep. Why? Because our flesh wars against us, okay? Slow down. Spend time. I'm not telling you when. I'm not telling you how. I'm just telling you you better find a way. But you got to plan it. You hear me? It won't happen all on its own. you got to plan it. Third this morning, go to work. Go to work. Look what Jesus did after he got along with the Father. Now look, they come out, they said, they're all looking for you. Jesus says, oh, let's get out of here. Let's go to the next town that I may preach there, for that's why I came out. Surely Peter's like, whoa, 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 Lee, whoa, no, no, Jesus. Things are just go- getting going here. We're not going anywhere, don't you know? Did you, did you know those people back there, they, st- they want more. You just whetted their appetite. They're outside chanting, Jesus, Jesus, we got to go. Jesus said, oh, no, Peter, no, you missed it. This isn't why I came. Peter, or excuse me, Lord, I gave up everything to follow you. I thought we were going to change the world. They're ready. He says, "I, I, I, I came to preach. Jesus says, I've not been called here primarily to heal. I've been called to go throughout all Galilee and to preach the cast out demons. Look what Jesus did after he got along with the Father. Beginning in verse 39, he went throughout all Galilee preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. Listen, we've not been called to run and hide in our prayer closets forever. Let me say that again. We've not been called to run and hide in our prayer closets forever. As Christians, we've got to come out of the prayer closet. We've got to emerge from our church houses and speak out of our quiet times. We have a job to do. One of the greatest dangers in the evangelical church is that we can become so fat in studying the Word in our quiet times and not exercise the spiritual strength that we've been given in this Word. We have not been called to be depositories of God's Spirit and of God's Word. We are channels through which that Word and that Spirit works. The world can be a scary place. I'm, I'm reading through a book right now on culture. I told Angela last night, I'm reading it on my Kindle. My Kindle's fantastic. It's got a backlight, so when I lay in bed at night, it's much more, more comfortable. I don't, it doesn't matter. So I'm reading through a book, and, and I told Angela, I said, it has gotten me so depressed that I've had to put it aside for a little while. As as I read through 
what it is that my children are growing up into, through the conversations that I have to have with our teenagers and with my own children, through the safeguards that we have to put into place, my heart is just heavy. It's, it's really hard to wrestle with how much our culture has changed in just the last 10 years. I get it. The world can be a scary place. And yet it is into this world that God has called us to go. Because unless we engage, the world will only grow more terrifying as the world around us moves further and further away from the Lord. Do you understand that there is no backup plan? There is no plan B. The church is God's rescue plan for the world. Remember, the church is not the bricks and mortar that make up this beautiful building. You are the church. You are God's plan to proclaim the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You and me, we are God's emissaries. We are God's ambassadors proclaiming the good news of Christ to those who are perishing, praying that the veil would be removed and that they would turn to Jesus. It should overwhelm us to consider that God has entrusted to us fragile vessels and in Incredible treasure of unestimable value. You've been given the gospel. You've been given the keys to death, hell, and the grave. You. So get to work. Maybe what is most terrifying about all those quiet time hashtags and self-righteous Jesus, self-righteous Jesus selfies is the thought, the belief that in so doing we have somehow engaged in real missional work because we posted a good meme about Jesus on Facebook. Y'all, we've got to do the real work. Jesus wasn't clamoring for a platform. Jesus was going from synagogue to synagogue, village to village, patiently but boldly proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. Where does that leave us this morning? We have a job to do. But how do you get there? How is it that you find power? Maybe you're not a preacher. How is it you find power to do that which God has called you to do? First, slow down. Find yourself in prayer alone with the Lord. Make the time. Make it count. I understand that we can find ourselves in times of prayer going, okay, this is dragging on forever. Do I really need all this? There's so many more important things to do. Billy Graham just died. Billy Graham was asked about six or seven years ago about 
some of his greatest regrets. He talked about wishing he had done more in the civil rights movement. He had spent more time with his family. But how about this one? He said, if I had to do all over again, I would have studied and prepared more and preached less. Billy Graham. I would have studied and prepared more and preached less. That he would have spent more time with the Lord in private so that his public ministry could have been more effective. Billy Graham. So I ask you this morning, what's keeping you from doing serious work with Jesus in private? What are the barriers that need to be overcome in your life? For some of you, those may not be palpable things. Some of you, it's a mindset. For some of you, it just hasn't been important enough. So the first thing, what is keeping you from doing serious work with Jesus in private? Some of you don't want to get alone with Jesus because you're terrified. Because you know that you don't belong to Jesus. And to get alone with Jesus is to be confronted with His majesty and your sin. Today, if you're afraid to get with Jesus because you're afraid of what it will be and feel like to be exposed to His perfect glory, would you come today and let me share with you the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You don't have to be afraid. For some of you, you may just need to come up here and pray this morning, Lord God. Lord God, bring me into a closer relationship with you. What is the Lord calling you to do today? For some of you, it's just to redeem the time. Some of you have been wasting lots of time. You know what it is the Lord's called you to do, but you've spread yourself out all over all these other things. Mom, some of you need to stop spreading yourself out over so many things. You just need to focus on loving your husband and your children. Do you know that there is no shame in that? Don't buy the lie. You don't need a platform. Men, some of you are still waiting for the Lord to give you something grand to do. And you've got a wife at home and children who need you. Don't buy the lie. What's God called you to do? And how are you spending time with Him being prepared to fulfill that calling? Would you come this morning? Would you begin that work with the Lord today? I'll make this promise to you. He will not leave you stranded. He loves you. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we give you praise and glory and honor. Father, I pray that you would not send us out of here until we have done work with you. We trust you, Lord. I pray, Lord God, that for those who are here today who've never trusted you with all of their life, that today can be that day. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand and sing this?